0: Welcome to the Professional Technical Interviewee. I'm Taylor Dorsett. In my six-year career in technical recruiting, I realized that just about every company does technical interviews differently. Many very good senior engineers do not do well in technical interviews, despite being great developers. The only way to get better at interviewing is to practice. Many early career engineers don't really know what a technical interview is like until they're in their first one. Our goal here is to change that and shed some light on the technical interview. My guest today is Paul Chayka. He's a staff engineer at Classkick and a Braintree alum. He now spits his time between Michigan and Palm Springs after living the van life for the last few years. In the second half, we do a live system design interview, the first that I've ever done. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, Hello, Paul. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, We've known each other, what, for uh, probably five, six years at this point?
1: Um, Yeah, about that. Maybe even a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, back in the day when I used to do um, a lot of recruiting in the Microsoft space, I think is when we actually met um, and and you're, background. Um, is kind of uh, an interesting one and I think unique to um, a lot of engineers, maybe something a lot of engineers in the Microsoft stack have interest in doing. But um, to give you the the full intro and then I'll let you kind of um, share a little bit about your background. Um, Paul Schaika is the, the guest today. Um, he is a staff engineer currently at Classkick. Um, before that uh, was at Brain Tree, and i think a number of other companies here in chicagoland um and if i remember correctly you're in the enviable position of splitting your time between like michigan and maybe chicagoland and then palm springs which is why we get those beautiful uh palm trees in the background yes
1: avoid cold at all costs
0: <laughs> i think becoming very popular in the the covid remote era it is indeed yes Great. Um, Well, if you can share a little bit more um, details just about your background and then kind of uh, what you're doing now and kind of what your team works on at Classic, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, it's kind of an interesting background. Uh, I started my original entry into the software engineering market was in the Microsoft stack. Uh, I spent um, a good amount of time in it. um, And about 10 years of my 10 of my first years was all at one company which was a um, uh, SaaS um, uh, three suite application product in the learning analytics space, Microsoft Stack. Uh, and I worked my way from uh, engineer up through software architect, uh, got super expert great at uh, C Sharp and then Microsoft Stack. Um, uh, made some early, early mistakes. Uh, I was put in, I think, too much of a position of Power and authority, and I uh, rolled out some really big architectural changes that were bad because I was young in my career. So I spent the next eight years uh, fixing those and learning from them, uh, (laughs) really increasing my chops in the software architecture, code architecture space, like maintainable, sustainable code practices. Uh, And yet, after all of that, I found a huge gap in system level understanding. Uh, Microsoft does great with helping developers reduce clicks, but kind of at least at the time, at the expense of exposing engineers to the internals of machines they were working on and isolating them. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. the case anymore. It's been a while since I've been in the stack, but I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm really good with the software, but I don't know anything about the system. Uh, I'm gonna jump out of Microsoft stack and jump into open source, uh, which was scary because I was senior level at Microsoft technologies, but I was junior level outside of that. And that was- sure really hard. So luckily, I uh, found a company, um, Braintree, that was looking for people that were good engineers that were not super great in their particular alphabet soup, Mm -hmm. uh, necessarily. It just wanted people that could engineer. So they hired me on. And I basically learned uh, the stack, uh, open source stack, um, from the performance uh, and scalability perspective. So this was back when uh, BrainTree was going through it's uh, a pretty big growth stage. And there were some pretty big technical concerns about some walls in the future that we were gonna hit. Uh, so we, we were working on scaling, scaling the databases, scaling, scaling the code, app, the application, uh, helping to scale the applications to support uh, the growth. So that's where I dove into more understanding of like, uh, you know, Postgres, um, Scaling servers, uh, VM uh, settings configuration for maximal throughput, I mean, uh, web server tuning, all this fun stuff, way deeper in the system. Um, So with all of that uh, background, uh, I sort of hit a, uh, okay, I'm tired now. I need a break. I'm a little worn out. Uh, And then I took took a nice break for uh, about a year doing the van life. Um, I love it. Yeah, and then COVID hit uh, and it had me stranded in Palm Springs um,
0: right now. Not the worst place to be stranded. Not the worst place,
1: (laughs) not the worst place. So van life came to an abrupt early end uh, and uh, with no place really to live, except out of a hotel for a month. It's like, okay, uh, I should probably look for some work. So spun up a quick consulting uh, uh, corporation and just... Put, my, put, put some feelers out there. And um, my partner who I met uh, in my van life travels and actually ended up in Palm Springs also, connected me through a series of connections and that brought me to Classkick, uh, who mm-hmm. was uh, scaling. Uh, they needed some serious scaling because COVID hit, uh, students are in need of remote learning. Classkick is a remote learning platform uh, and their usages went through the roof, and it, they went from sure. a scrap little startup to needing to scale to web scale like yesterday. So, with my experience um, at Braintree, helping with scaling, uh, I was brought on to do some analysis uh, and help them understand what their root causes were, and help to formulate some plans on how to address them and start to help to work them, work them through them. That was. Almost a year ago, exactly. I think I started working for them March 15th last year. Um, and I uh, was on and off contracts with them through the year. And then I ended up loving it so much that I jumped on full-time, uh, which I did in December, I believe uh, as nice. a staff, staff engine. Yeah, so currently uh, engine uh, focused on platform um, scalability, also do a little bit of diving into full stack um, uh, limited, uh, but a bit as needed. So I'm kind of like a, uh, touch, I'll, I'll touch anything that I have to touch, but I, I focus my, mainly on system, uh, uh, system architecture and scalability with, uh, the very growing team that we have and helping to grow the team as well through interviews and such. So yeah. that's for today.
0: Well, that's awesome. It, it seems interesting to me, um, that, you know, you started your career early on kind of as, you had to learn kind of how to help something scale as the company scaled. Right. And then, you know, that became almost this theme throughout your career. Right. And that's something that um, through my years in recruiting, I realized how many companies don't know how to do that effectively, either on the business side or on the technology side. Right. Sometimes it's, oh, no, we've got five successful products all of a sudden when we're used to only having one or two, and now we don't have the technical capabilities anymore. Um, but it seems like people now are thinking more about that ahead of time. And obviously, if they know people like yourself who can come on board and help with that, that probably saves them a lot of headaches down the road, right?
1: It does, yeah. If you're aware of that early enough and make some strides early, which is hard, it's a hard sell, because management tends to uh, tends to look at concrete information for guidance and if you don't have it's hard to put concrete information down to say yeah if we don't do this thing we're not going to be able to meet this future target that we think we might have um usually in my experience what happens is you hit a scaling problem and then it opens your eyes and you start to look for other scaling problems uh, and then take uh, more broad action on them which is kind of the, the place that we've been in with Classkick is we hit a scaling problem now we're aware of it now we're looking at that as well as all kinds of scaling problems, like not only how do you scale the technology, but how do you scale engineering practices on the team to support new growth? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you scale a customer success team to support um, changing landscape of, you know, um, user growth? Like the field is wide open now on scaling and our eyes are open. So it does take sometimes a bit of a critical
0: emergency to get you there. Yeah. Uh, What's the tech stack look like on on kind of your team specifically, but also company-wide?
1: Yeah, so uh, the application stack is uh, an Angular front-end, an Angular and iOS front-end, and uh, Scala Spring Boot backend uh, run MySQL, we use Firebase, and that's, that's the major components. And uh, as we are now, we're sort of looking at tuning them all and identifying, well, which ones will help us get in the future and which ones we need to tweak and change to get us to the future that we want. Uh,
0: and, and I want to touch on um, your shift from the Microsoft stack into more open source, the, the, open source world. Right. Cause I think that's something that um, there may be people that are either in the Microsoft stack just from that's where they started their career. Right. Or um, you know, they've been in it for a long time and like yourself and feel very strong in that area, but I don't know if limited is the right word, but certainly does feel like there's less options sometimes. Right. I um, and, and very likely in the startup space or maybe the kind of rapidly growing company space. Um, so you just, I know your transition, um, Braintree, and there's a few other companies, at least in Chicago that I know of that say, hey, as long as this person can pass our kind of technical bar, we know they can figure this stuff out and we'll give them the the time they need to ramp up. But do you have any advice or or can you share a little bit about kind of what your thought process was around um, making that transition?
1: Yeah, I I really, I did some digging around, uh, trying to read some information, uh, case stories, you know, um, ask around to you and other recruiters say, hey, have you seen this done before? And the common answer was uh, not too often. Um, it kind of felt like at least once you've been so long in Microsoft, you're kind of pigeonholed. Uh, so yeah. yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot of concern. So I think the approach that I took was really look for companies that just wanted solid engineers that have an appetite for learning and growth. Yeah. Uh and we're comfortable with the risk um, of, uh, of hiring someone who didn't have the specific skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a 50 uh, 50. Interviewing is really, um, there's two sides of the coin. One is the interviewee side, one is the interviewer side. Uh, as an interviewee, your power is limited to what you can bring to the table. And then it's in the interviewer side to to make sure you find a company that is looking for the things that you can offer, and that's really the other half of all of this is not only finding those companies, uh, but finding those companies that are intervie- inter- interviewing well for mm-hmm. um, for the skills that they actually need.
0: Yeah, and. And when you say that, it also brings to mind um, if you have skills outside of just what can I do within that language, that might make that transition easier as well. Because it seems like you obviously had um, experience kind of scaling with the company, kind of a startup environment, having like leadership experience within that environment. But then also um, just understanding scalable systems, right, from your mistakes um, over the years. So I think just coming with that, yes, they go the technical knowledge from a Ruby syntax standpoint is it here yet no but um, do they have this other thing that they can bring to the table that may even be more important or more difficult to find than a you know a strong engineer um, with whatever that language is so I think that certainly helps if you can bring more to the table than just you know one specific language experience
1: it really does It's really uh, about how transferable is your skill set beyond a single language and framework. And that really gets to your grasp and your chops in engineering discipline, uh, engineering best practices, um, and, and the things that make uh, generally make engineers more valuable, which is not only writing code that automates uh, human actions, basically, um, and creates leverage in that respect, but also doing so in a way that is maintainable and extendable. Like if you write something mm-hmm. and it takes you a long time to write it, once you're done, the idea is that you should never have to touch it again, which never happens, we all know that. Or when you do have to touch it again, uh, it's cheap and easy to do so, meaning it doesn't take a long time to ramp up and learn what was done. It doesn't require, it doesn't introduce new bugs and defects um, to change it. And there's confidence in understanding that your changes will be successful. So all of that speaks to uh, your grasp of transferable engineering discipline and practices, which is software engineering uh, uh, patterns, um, understanding of scale, scalability concerns, uh, performance concerns in what you build. And you'll notice nothing that I said in this uh, this answer has been about a specific language. If you can demonstrate as an interviewee that you grasp these concepts, then you can apply them to any language in any framework, you just have to uh, learn the specific syntax uh, and the specific characteristics of the framework. And if your interviewer understands that, then then you're good. Uh, it's just it's hard to find that sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm curious, um, as far as from a technical interviewing perspective, um, have you done I know you've been with Classic. it seems like for uh, for a little over a year now um, but have you done technical interviews lately I guess um, as an actual interviewer or uh, for your team like when you're interviewing so the
1: last interview I went through personally was the one for Classkick um, mm-hmm. which was interesting um, we can talk about that more later if you're curious sure. uh, since then uh, we've grown as a company. We've added on some, some new people, uh, notably our head of engineering, which has, uh, done a fantastic job of revamping the interview process. Now, the process as well as its components, including the interview and how it functions and what we're interviewing for in this structure and all that fun, great detail. So, uh, over the past year, I've been, uh, one of the member members of the uh, interviewing, uh, group, which is largely been most of the company because the company is so small. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been taking part in interviewing engineer candidates uh, even some product managers uh, as well. Um, and we've used a pretty, uh, pretty honed process, but we are continuing to hone it. So it's a really interesting, fun journey, but we've come a long way with it.
0: Yeah. What, what are you typically evaluating for um, when you're interviewing for, for your team?
1: Uh, everything.
0: Um,
1: that's the short answer so uh, we really do kind of two technical interviews one is well we break technical technical interviews up into pieces i think as Mm -hmm. anybody who's gone through technical interviews knows they are particularly grueling they oftentimes last an entire day and you're put through multiple sessions That's not out of the norm so we we kind of follow suit to some extent we try not to be uh, a full day nor completely grueling but we will evaluate um, the, uh, the ability to complete the technical task on their own, which is the take home, uh, which basically lets them showcase um, at their own time, uh, within a time box window at their own speed, uh, what their technical chops are so we can see sort of where they're at. Uh, then we will walk them through a system design, which is very broad. Uh, very sometimes large and nebulous uh, question, which I'll be walking you through one of these uh, in the interview portion of our uh, segment. Um, that is intended to sort of touch on breadth. So we want to understand, um, like, are you aware of, no matter what your role is, if you're a front-end engineer, back-end engineer, data engineer, you name it, it's like, what are you, what are you aware of? Uh, and we do this because people move around a lot. We wanna understand, okay, what, what's the full range of capabilities? Like, are you aware of front-end, back-end, scaling, database? Like, what's your awareness? How deep is it? So that's our system design. Uh, and then we have a, uh, a pairing session where we gauge their uh, ability to work with somebody on the problem of their own design, which was their take home solution. Um, and that's really to sort of see to just see their work in action how they, and how they interact. Um, so each of these is very different, uh, and each of them has a very, very well-defined rubric, which I think is super critical as an interviewer, is you need to have four so rubrics, yes. And each rubric is sliced and diced according to uh, the different capabilities we're looking for, with levels according to like, uh, you know, uh, meets, exceeds uh, our needs, basically. So we kind of have a skeleton framework for all of these. And then we apply them basically to all uh, engineering interviews uh, yeah. with flight tweaks for each different kind of role to, to let them showcase and test their very specific skill set.
0: That's great. I mean, I, I think it's going to be very satisfying to go through an interview process that maybe wasn't ideal and then being able to come on board and help uh, make that process better. right? Because I think that's something that often gets pushed to the wayside, right, is is was that a good experience for, for the people going through it? And even if it wasn't a good experience for the people, once you're on board, you often forget about it, right? You're like, oh, we're on to the next thing. We've just got to build whatever we're, we're trying to build. Um, so that, I mean, that sounds like a very structured and very mindful, uh, which is again, I think it's just interviewing becomes an easy thing to go, ah, I'll just look up some things online on how to interview for data engineers. And then those are the questions I'm going to ask, right?
1: Yeah, and that's really gets to the heart of what I think Classkick uh, has done beautifully in this respect is um, when we were designing the, uh, the interview process, it was it was a company wide effort. Um, and it was uh, saturated in empathy and support. Um, so we want to be empathic for not only our for of course our interviewees but also our interviewers and we want to support them both Um, it's no use sort of creating a grilling horrible exhausting stressful interview session because you're not going to get the clearest signal of uh, interviewers potential unless that's what daily life is like at your company then yeah you want your interviews to look like that but in any case um, you want your interviews to sort of look and feel like your actual work environment. Um, and we're a pretty uh, empathic, um, uh, emotionally intelligent company, I feel. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've tried to integrate that into the interview process. Uh, and I think that helps us get the best signal for people that will fit well in our particular work.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I, I've seen that become a trend more and more recently where people tend to to, or, or, I think companies are just trying to make the effort to to recognize like, um, we want this to be a good process and to um have some idea around the emotional quality and just the emotional impact of interviewing. Right where, um, you know, someone who not too um, long ago went through a boot camp and then realized just the amount of knows you hear in a job search early on, um. And even to a certain extent, when you get more senior, you still get a lot more no's than you do yeses, right? Um, so it's it's just a draining process. And if you have a company that even if they care a little bit more and do it a little bit more nicely, um, then you can tell there's some thought put into it. That helps a lot, right? Versus just um, leaving a bad taste in someone's mouth because you know they got ghosted or it was a terrible process and then they got one line email saying you're out, right? Uh,
1: or no email at all and just you're left Yeah. Go.
0: Yeah. It's interesting um, when you were talking about scalability, and I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, there is almost, uh, it comes to a certain point where you have to uh, design your interview process and almost your internal kind of um, structure of how your engineers are leveled um, correctly with scalability in mind, if you're going to grow to a certain scale, right? And um, a notable example in Chicago was Trunk Club. A number of years ago, they kind of hit a, a point where they went, oh, our business has scaled significantly um, and like that side of the business is, is fantastic. Um, but the technical side, like we still, a lot of it's kind of the Wild West here, right? And they brought someone on board from Groupon who specifically had helped um, build out those levels and kind of build out um, what their rubric looks like. Them when they're hiring um, at, at Groupon and brought them to do that same thing at, at Trunk Club. And that was really great when I was recruiting for them to be able to tell that story of like, they've put a lot of thought into this and it's because they want to hire, you know, a hundred engineers in the next three years. Like they know they can't just keep doing it willy-nilly because you're going to, there's only so many people to interview, right? Before yes. you've, um, if you've burned too many, you can't bring people on board anymore, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've uh we've, engaged. Uh, some support in that respect. We're working with uh, a third party that is helping us to source and slim down the, the kind of the pool. Um, one of our core values is diversity and inclusion and we've found uh, a third party that can help us really find a pool that uh, is focused on diversity and inclusion uh, as one of its core criteria. So that takes a lot yeah. of off of our process, at least from the you know, engineering manager perspective. But yeah, once you start to actually interview these people, then it's a pretty. It can be a pretty big drain on the team and productivity and focus. So yeah, those are all uh, significant concerns to sort of keep aware of and, and plan for as you grow.
0: Yeah, and you said you have a standardized system that the interv- interviews um, kind of look like, but then you tweak them according to kind of the role specifically. Yep. So the
1: uh, the whole thing is it's a it's a it's an evolving um process so we yeah we have now we sort of we do retrospectives and we evolve the process as we go Uh, but where it is now is we we have a consistent framework we have a consistent rubric um the details are different in terms of for example the take-home for a front-end engineer is different than a back-end engineer than you know a data engineer uh so we do uh sort of cut things uh, to specifics uh, for the roles. But then the, like I said, this the uh, system design aspect is pretty broad and we do a sort of test widely. Um, so yeah, the process sort of stays the same, but the the details of what we put in the process change a bit per role.
0: Yeah, you mentioned pairing in the interview as well. Is that something that's a big part of the kind of the, the work environment and um, work style at ClassKick?
1: not really i mean we will we will liberally pair when there's a need to but we do not um, require it we don't like say oh you should be pairing uh, it's basically left up to individuals we find a lot of value especially for onboarding um, we have kind of an onboarding buddy system where there is a heavy pairing to make sure that new hires ramp up quickly and confidently uh, but beyond that it's really left up to individuals to reach out and say hey i'd like to pair on this Um, and it's, it's common enough that we definitely want signal on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's so helpful too, when you're actually evaluating how you can, not just for technical skills, but how you're going to be able to work with that individual, right? Even if it's just one data point, right? Um, just a communication style can be, you just get a lot more insight into it, right? And, and for an interviewer, sometimes it's stressful to pair, but also I do think there's a little bit more communication. And, and likewise, you can kind of interview the company to a certain extent.
1: Yes, I'm glad you said that. That is so the other part of interviewing that uh, most interviewees don't consider enough, in my opinion, is you really should be interviewing your interviewer as much as yeah. they're interviewing you. Uh, you want to make sure that you are comfortable with them. two-way street yes
0: yeah it's a common theme um to the the guests we've had on the show is just how how important that is to make sure that you know you're actually going to go work at a place where you're excited about joining that team right obviously you know if you have to pay the bills you have to pay the bills and sometimes that's the situation people are in especially early career but at a certain point the the script really does flip to a certain extent um and in my recruiting career, when I was focusing mostly with, um, senior and engineering level engineering leader level folks, a lot of it was, is this culturally a good fit for me? Do I enjoy working with these people? Cause I'm going to put in, you know, 50, 60, 80 hour weeks where I want to make sure I'm not going to hate this person. Uh, most of that time. Right.
1: Oh my God. 50, 60, 80 hour weeks. Uh, <laughs> ouch. Um, but yes. Yeah. You definitely, definitely want to understand that. Um, and sometimes it's it's not it's it's uh, earlier in your career you don't really know where you fit yet. I think I'm a pretty late bloomer in that respect. Like I I jumped into a couple of things that in retrospect I'm like what was I thinking? I was obviously not appropriate for that environment, um, and my level of burnout was a really clear indicator. Um, and I learned, you know. So sometimes it's just a learning. Uh, uh, a process of learning where you fit and where you don't
0: yeah absolutely um, ha- how do you feel that you actually do in technical interviews
1: uh, mixed bag uh, I do very well in the communication aspect generally speaking like I, I think I have a pretty clear ability to communicate what I'm thinking uh, my thought process where I'm going with something so I like to just communicate that out during the interview whether it's mm-hmm you know, hashing through an algorithm or system design or pairing, I'm very good at sort of speaking and clearly bringing people along with me. So that's easy. But when it comes to the actual technical chops, it's a very mixed bag. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I don't do well if I'm being expected to write code that will run beautifully and be syntactically correct. Uh, With someone looking over my shoulder, it's just very uncomfortable. That's not how I work. But if it's like a pseudocode kind of thing and you wanna, or like generally uh, creating an algorithm that's somewhat performant or more performant, um, or understanding the system of how uh, system pieces work together, um, scalability concerns, software uh, patterns and practices, those I, I do better on. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it can be a pretty mixed bag. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, uh, my stress levels in the moment. Once my stress levels get high in any particular session, my performance is going to tank. Um, sure. There's a whole lot of factors involved there.
0: Yeah. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, when I was doing my first um, set of technical interviews right out of a bootcamp, I could, I think I've, I've just gone through a lot of high stress situations in the past and I felt like I would be fine. But then I realized when it was just, me and, you know, a technical problem, I knew I had no idea how to answer. That was like a, a whole new level of like, oh, great. This is just peak stress immediately. And I'm just sweating. Right. Then um, I had to very mindfully try to find ways to force myself just to breathe. Right. And then to um, kind of calm down and go, okay, well, let's read one part and see if we can get one piece of information from this. Right. So at least we're moving forward. Um, and I think many people, I I don't think there's a lot of people that actually get that much better at that skill set. Maybe they just get better at kind of understanding problems, but I think that core kind of fear thing stays for a lot of people, even throughout their career.
1: It, it certainly can. I think you can develop skills that will mitigate their negative impact in the interview. And I have a great example of this, which was actually when I was interviewing for classic Uh, in their technical, their algorithm portion of the interview at the time where they, through a, uh, a, a very specific technical problem, basically like a dictionary sort, uh, complicated dictionary sort problem at me and said, go at it. Um, I started to work through it, uh, had some trouble understanding the problem and really sort of getting my uh, a solid ground under me. And then once I did, I took a path that ended up being entirely fruitless and wrong. Um, and then this was by the time i got there it was like 45 minutes in and it was i think an hour session i was like okay up to this point i had communicated very well about everything uh about what i was doing where i was going even though it was down an ultimately incorrect path uh the communication was good i didn't lose my cool even though internally i was very stressed and increasingly stressed by this time the 45 minutes hit i was like internally i'm like i'm done brain shut off i I'm over this. This is ridiculous. I'm so done. Um, But what came out of my mouth was, okay, I feel like we've sort of exhausted options in available space. Uh, I feel like by this time you have the signal you were probably looking for in this interview session. So I'm comfortable calling it and closing it here, even though we don't have a successful interview. How do you guys feel about that? You know, just closing out with that uh, clear communication is like,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it was fine. And uh, feedback I got was I actually passed the session, even though I failed the technical problem itself. So I think the skills you can develop are just keeping cool and calm, collected and communicative uh, under pressure, Um, even if uh, stress and tension never goes away.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's a certain amount of awareness too that you know... Obviously, one piece of that technical right is solve the problem, right? But then all the other pieces are communication, thought process. Are you able to, um, you know, walk them along with your solution? And you were able to recognize, great, I've done that piece, right? Even if we don't have the problem successfully giving the output that they want, um, you knew that that piece was in place, which you know allows you to be in a position, even if you feel very frustrated, to say, I think, I think we've done what we're trying to do here, right? Right.
1: Yeah, because the, the problem was really, really hard. I don't know if anyone solved it, like ever in the history of that problem uh, at classic interviewing. So um, you shouldn't let the fact that you can't solve the problem derail you because uh, that really isn't what you should be evaluated on. Uh, mm-hmm. You should be evaluated on everything about, not only that I should say, but everything around the process of how you solve it, and how you interact and, and the whole picture of you uh, through the process.
0: Yeah, I mean, on that note, do you have a system when you're presented with a very difficult problem or problem that you don't immediately go, oh, I can use this solution, right? Do you have a system to break that down to help you approach it? Um,
1: Yes, I think the first thing is just to have a really good, strong uh, sync, communicate your understanding of the problem and have that validated back to you. That's Mm -hmm. super important. Uh, And then from there, I'll uh, sometimes just do my own version of uh, shelling out a solution using pseudocode in whatever form and function makes sense to me. Like sometimes I'll just write a series of comment lines, like do this, do this, do this. And then I'll start to like uh, add some pseudocode around the comments and then I'll start to uh, beef it up. And I only go so far each time to sort of explore the possibility. I like to do a, um, uh, a probe attack, basically. Like I'll give it some thought. come up with an idea that i think works and then i will go as far as i can quickly and to see if it's viable and if it doesn't i back it out throw it away and go a different direction Mm -hmm. that can look a little jarring to people if you are not very communicative um imagine watching someone solve this problem and they don't talk about what they're doing when they're doing the prototype you're like what is this person doing out done not a fit But if you communicate very clearly what you're doing, then it brings them along and it it makes more sense. So I think the two things are communication around your own particular style. You just have to understand Mm -hmm. what your style is and how to communicate it.
0: Yeah. And when you say probatech, do you mean like you're kind of mentally talking through um, different algorithms that you would specifically use or, you know, algorithm plus kind of, I might use nested loops for this, or I might use, you know, X, Y, or Z.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I'll give it some thought. Usually let uh, intuition sort of plays plays part and come up with an idea like maybe recursion is the right thing. So let's go down the recursion Mm -hmm. route for this problem. Uh, Start to pseudocode it out. And and if it doesn't look like it's optimal, I'm like, oh, wait, actually, you know what? Recursion isn't really what we're looking for here. We actually want this other algorithm. Then I'll try that out. And in the course of that, if that doesn't work, then I might pause at that point Mm -hmm. and I might ask some more questions because two fails is like, okay, maybe I'm moving too fast here. So let's let's step back and give this some more thought and then go at it uh, from a a new angle um, with after taking a brief break. And and I think that's important, though, is giving yourself the the freedom to create little breaks and mental space for yourself in the midst of a stressful process uh, and taking the opportunity for those when you can.
0: Yeah, and I, I do think that helps too with that that fear that that um, during the headlights thing that can happen early in an interview, especially if you don't know how to, to solve the problem. If you go, okay, let me mine kind of run with a couple ideas and if as long as I'm communicating through it you're being effective right that's what you're being evaluated on is can I look at different approaches and even if it, your first one's not the right one um that's fine because oftentimes right in engineering the first approach is not going to be the one that ends up you know being the long-term solution right right yes exactly um do you have tips um, or kind of advice for people who are in technical interviews? I mean, it sounds like, you know, these these breaks and kind of um, being able to look at things and kind of breathe throughout it is important, but anything else that you would highlight or advise people to do? Absolutely.
1: Some other factors that we're looking for uh, and that I found success in looking for over the many years I've been uh, involved in interviewing people is uh, finding core engineering competencies, uh, and a certain level of self-actualization that is appropriate for their, uh, their cre- career position, I guess. So mm-hmm. that, what I mean by all that is we basically look for people that understand what level they're at, mm-hmm. um, correctly self-identify what level they're at, um, are comfortable with that level. Then all the other things that we mentioned, uh, communicate well. Have the chops that they that they say they do and can demonstrate those. Um, so I think if you bring as an interviewee a sense of confidence in where you are that is correct and can demonstrate that and can communicate well through the process, I think that is the majority of the battle there. Um, yeah. What we find difficult difficulty with is people that think they're senior le- level. Uh, apply for senior level position self-identify as senior level and then they come in and they they don't have uh, senior level skills um, sure so or they're uncomfortable with the fact that they don't have a particular skill i think being comfortable and this i think i said this already being comfortable with where you're at that's super important mm-hmm. um, one of the signals we look for is when you're when you are met with unfamiliar information, uh, what do you do? Are you defensive? Do you hand wave answers? Do you avoid it? Or are you, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Uh, one of those answers makes for a much better engineer uh, than than the others.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a consistent trend in some of the um, the most successful, might be the right word, but probably well-regarded and easy to work with engineers that i know are is the oh interesting um okay let's like let's explore that right or just at least yeah. being open to that um yeah. and and often it's i mean stuff changing so quickly i think people realize like oh you can't know everything right this this um early career bootcamp graduate might come in with some new es6 feature that you know the senior developer doesn't know about and you go oh That makes sense. Right. And then that person, you know, is able to kind of get a win out of sharing that information, which can be a very different situation from someone just like you said, hand-waving and go, ah, well, that's not how we do it here. Right. Or that I I don't like that way. Right. Without having, it's kind of, it's almost subtle. Right. But it it does feel very different um, for the individual. It does. Yeah. It's, it's really key. I think. Do you have advice on people, um, on kind of how to show that in an interview without, you know, especially early career without coming in and saying, you know, I'm junior, um, but I'll take a crack at it. Right. Or someone who's maybe a couple years in who knows, you know, I'm not quite senior yet, but I've got some skills, right. And they don't necessarily know how to um, kind of slot themselves.
1: Um, So we run everybody through everybody who uh, passes our initial screening. That means that we feel like they're, they've identified enough skills to be in line with what they've uh, presented that it's probably worth to bring them in. Uh, We aren't looking, so there's two ways to look at this from an interviewer interviewer perspective in the way that we work. One is you can have a rubric that everybody has to meet the specific rubric levels that are defined for this role, or you can be more organic and you can say, okay, we have this rubric. We're just going to see where the individual falls at all the levels on the rubric and then we're going to look at those capabilities and see how that maps to what we have and what we need on the team Mm -hmm. and even if they're not senior level at this thing that's fine because we got someone who is but they have these skills that we don't like it can be organic that way so what we do is we run people through the process and we uh we get their assessment levels on the various facets of the rubric and then um you know, we sort of, we evaluate um, sort of where do they fit and what, what makes sense. And I think the the system design portion of our interview really helps to get to the, the answer of your question is how do we let these engineers uh, sort of showcase their skills that may be better than their actual level or maybe just prove that they're uh, or illuminate that they have uh, gaps. And the system design is where we can ask the engineers a broad spectrum of things and we can touch on enough pieces to understand where those different uh, strengths and gaps are. Uh, and the strengths and the gaps will come out naturally. And we have seen uh, very clear cases where junior engineers are like solidly mid-level in certain system aspects and we're like, oh, that's great. Or senior engineers are solidly mid-level or junior on certain aspects and that's fine. So. Uh, part of it is uh, designing the process to allow that information to come out.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I I was thinking recently, even on on my own team, um, internally at my job now, probably the the biggest difference between you know our lead slash manager and the senior developers would be like, um, our lead is the one who's really designing um, a lot of what we're actually doing right senior developers might be just as capable with Ruby um, you know give or take a a little bit right but as far as actually being able to design something I think that's very much um, the the lead's probably greatest strength in that aspect right and that's very clear to I think everyone who's in those conversations um, which I was realizing recently if that doesn't come out in an interview. How would someone, um, you know, kind of tech out? But it does make sense to evaluate on those things, especially if that's going to be used internally, right? Or those skill sets are going to be valued. Yep, exactly. So
1: we're. I'm going to run you through this process where we basically throw a very large problem, design problem, at you, uh, and we th- would throw a similar kind of problem at any level. And it really, we would take a different approach with different levels. Like a lead engineer, we would just sit back and let them lead. A junior engineer uh, we would give them the floor and if they uh, if they can run with it great but if they need help we are there to support them and uh, usher them towards a segment of the the question that they're more comfortable with and can execute on and then the outcome of both of those is we know exactly what their leadership capabilities are in a generic design problem
0: yeah well I'm excited i I will be honest I believe this would be my first true design interview so oh. um, that's, that's exciting uh before we move on in, any different advice for early career engineers i mean it seems like these are all valuable things to so keep in mind anything um, additional or, or different that you would give to people who maybe it's their first job or first few jobs
1: um well you really got to rest on your non-technical skills at the, that point which means just uh developing a solid foundation of good communication curiosity uh interest and drive uh, uh and excitement to, to learn, and then uh, continuing to learn, and uh, taking every opportunity to grow, to grow your skill set, and then every new job you go on, um, bring to bear your previous skills you've learned, and be hungry for more, and that'll get you very, very far.
0: Great. Uh, well, before we move into the technical portion, I mean, any um, interview horror stories that you'd like to share in the past, maybe uh, folks who are in the interview process can relate to and see that it's not all uh, it's not all roses. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's kind of two. One was actually a really negative, horrible experience. Um, we'll start there. Um, it was uh, in between my time at the Microsoft technology SaaS business uh, and Braintree, I took like a two years in the wilderness where I was jumping into the financial industry. I think that was in 2008, right at the financial collapse. It was a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I got enamored by... You know, the run up in that sort of led to the financial collapse of like engineer salaries who were working at hedge funds, like, ooh, money, money, money. So I went looking around uh, for jobs at hedge funds and proprietary trading firms. And one proprietary uh, trading firm in particular was an awful experience. I came in with a C-sharp expert, uh, expertise, um, and they were looking for a C plus C++ or a C-sharp expert. Um so I was like I applied and they accepted the application for interview and I was scheduled for an interview. So I get there and it turns out that the uh, hiring manager I was working with was fired between uh accepting and arriving and it was replaced with someone else and they had changed the position to be C++ instead of just uh instead of also C#. sharp. So I arrive uh And I'm greeted by this very unpleasant human who almost immediately started to uh, belittle me. And like, uh, what do you know about C++? And I was like, well, I don't know anything. I accepted this based on C sharp. And instead of being like a mature human and saying, oh, apologies, don't want to waste your time, Um, this is actually looking for C++, he kept me on the hook and ran me through the interview which I actually did pretty well on with the generic algorithm programming. Uh, but when it came to C++, obviously, there was no information there. Um, and he was just grueling. He kept putting me through sessions. Uh, and he even came at one time and threw a big C++ um, reference book on the on the desk at me and said, here, no read way. this 15 minutes and walked out. Um, I wasn't self-aware and enough to, at that point to get up and leave myself. So I just sat through it. But I got a small amount of satisfaction in the fact that by the end of the interview process, I was so stressed out and had completely worn through my deodorant that the room stunk to high, high heaven. <laughs> so when he came into the the room, he it would actually like wince. And I, I just, I got some small satisfaction out of that, kept him in that room as long as I could. Um, and then the, at the end of the interview, when it was all over, and he walked me out into the interview, uh, into the uh the elevator as the elevator doors closing he's like well i'm sorry i can't lead you on anymore you don't have the job i i'm like wow. wow 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 so that folks is what you do not do as an interviewer
0: that might take the cake is the the worst slash best story on the the show so far i lo- yeah. i mean maybe the advice is uh wear light deodorant uh, if you're oh. unsure about the the interview right <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on youtube or your favorite podcasting app at the professional technical interviewee i want to thank my guest and my wonderful editor and producer dustin bays if you're interested in sharing your technical interview advice and being on the show please reach out at dorsettaylordev at gmail.com as a reminder this interview is two parts You can find the second half, which is the live technical interview, on YouTube at the professional technical interviewee. The link will be in the show notes. Until next time, keep practicing.